Good morning, Maryville, Knoxville. I miss you today. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you are joining us, and we hope to see you here in the near future. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Hope you had a little bit of turkey, hopefully not too much. Uh, I had a great Thanksgiving. The kids were fun, and uh, I've got a five and a three-year-old. They had a great time. And as soon as we get done with Thanksgiving things, of course, as any kid, it's, it's always on to the next thing, right? Whatever is next. And for our family, the next thing is Jingle Jam. Um, we, it's a program that we do here at our Maryville location. Everyone's invited. And our kids, they remember it. It's literally unforgettable. They remember it from last year, and they get so excited for it. So if you're a good parent uh, and you want to come and enjoy worshiping Jesus with your children, you'll be here December 8th for Jingle Jam. It really is fun, and uh, our kids have a great time. I hope you're do- yours do as well. Now, Thanksgiving is fun with kids because at FC Kids or at school, they often have these little crafts where they ask kids what they're thankful for, right? And they end up putting them on some kind of craft. And uh, this happened uh, for my son. My son is three, and Atticus uh, was asked what he was thankful for, and he said, chicken. Chicken. This guy knows how to get some protein, uh, and he's, he's definitely jacked for it. Um, but I just, think, <laughs> I just think that's hilarious, that of all the things... Uh, he could have said, he said chicken on Thanksgiving. And to his surprise, he was welcomed with a Chick-fil-A feast right after he made this. So thank you, Miss Courtney, and good for him. Um, but, you know, we're also in this phase of parenting where we're telling our kids constantly, we're teaching them how to say thank you, right? You give them food or you give them a water bottle or you do whatever you do. And it's like, what do we say? Thank you, right? And they always say it like, thank you. You know, it's very obligatory and kind of a habit, and even us as adults, we, we know that this is just kind of well-mannered, that when someone gives you something that you say thank you. And we just got done celebrating a national holiday where we sat around our Thanksgiving feast and we thanked God for our family and our blessings and all those things, and, and probably totally sincerely. But I think that we often brush, brush over the depth of sincerity that is underneath thankfulness. And that's what I want to address with you today. I think that we often don't think about what is under a well-meaning thank you, that there's not a depth of gratitude underneath what we say. We're not recognizing the grace that we've just received. And how often do we see good things in our life, or we don't see things, good things in our life as gifts. Rather, we see them as things that we're entitled to, things that we have the right to, things that we deserve, rather than gracious gifts. And this problem of the lack of gratitude is from the very beginning. We see in Genesis, Adam and Eve had this exact problem. They were not thankful for the dominion and the paradise that God gave them to rule in. Instead, they grasped for more. They wanted more. They, they saw the fruit of the knowledge of, uh, from the knowledge of the tree and the knowledge of good and evil. And as they grasped for it, they saw something that they thought God was keeping from them. They chose not to trust him in his heart, and they went for more. They were not satisfied They were unthankful. And Paul elaborates on this condition of man in Romans 1. If we cut to Romans 1, verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, Paul's not specifically talking about Adam and Eve. He's talking about all of us. He's talking about those who ultimately did not follow Jesus, those who do not believe. And he he says they knew God. There's plenty of people in our world who know who Jesus is. 
but they don't believe in him. There's many here in Maryville and at Knoxville who know who Jesus is, but they don't know him. And, and what's underneath their lack of knowing him is they don't honor him, worship him, or give thanks to him as God. And what that leads to, and I think this is very important, we're going to come back to this later, it says that their, their minds became futile, or their thinking became futile, it led to death, and their hearts were darkened. It's also a sign of death. Now, today, we're going to address what's underneath a lack of gratitude. Satisfaction or contentment is what's underneath. It's, it's at the heart level of this condition for a lack of gratitude. So we're going to be in Philippians 4. And as you turn there, let me remind you of the context of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Caesarea Philippi. He's in prison again. It's not his first time in prison. And he's writing to this church that he helped establish, that he helped plant. And he loves these people. Uh, he loves, I'm sure, all the churches that he planted. But as we read through the book of Philippians, and I, I won't do that today, I promise. But, but if, as you read through it, you see him talking about the joy that he had for the people at Philippi. And, and his joy was complete in seeing them support him through encouragement and through um, practical help. This seems to be the only church at the time that is, that is financially supporting Paul. All of his missionary journeys and the church planting that he's doing, these are people that are coming and showing up for Paul in his hour of need. And he's thankful for that. So with that in mind, let's go to Philippians 4. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I want to first spend time right here where he talks about whatever situation, any circumstance. Because when I see that and I think about my own life, I just want to know that this cat is qualified to speak into all of my circumstances, right? Who are you to say, whatever's going on, to be content? And if you don't know, from the very beginning of Paul's journey with Jesus, he has certainly experienced humility, and he's certainly experienced hard things. The beginning of his story is that he is actually someone who's a very zealous religious leader in the Jewish faith, and he's taking Christians, those who believe in Jesus, and he's imprisoning them. He's persecuting them. And one day, on the road to Damascus, a brilliant light shows up, and he falls to the ground. It's so bright. And it's Jesus. Jesus shows up and questions Paul, why are you persecuting my church? Long story short, Paul is blind for three days, and God calls a man named Ananias to come and heal Paul from his blindness. He doesn't eat or drink for those three days. He fasts. And after those three days, he, he has a radical transformation. He believes. He trusts that Jesus is the Son of God. And he has a complete 180. And he immediately starts preaching. He immediately starts going into effective ministry. And of course, because this dude was killing or imprisoning Christians uh, days before, everybody's super skeptical that this guy's legit. Uh, and then he goes to Jerusalem to talk to the disciples there. Same thing. They're fearful of him, but he continues to preach. And he eventually goes to the apostles and Barnabas, one of his companion, pleads on his behalf. This guy's legit. He has seen, he has heard, and he's here to help. He's here to advance the gospel in the kingdom of God. And 
Then Paul, in one of his letters to the Corinthian church, he gives us a really clear breakdown of the kind of circumstances that he's been through. So let's check this out in 2 Corinthians. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Sounds like a pastor. This, this, is, this is Paul recounting for us all of the kinds of circumstances that he walked through to which he can say, I have learned to be content. I doubt anyone in this room has faced this kind of difficulty. And he certainly had good days as well. Paul probably came from abundance. As a, as a highly respected, highly educated religious leader, he probably wasn't doing bad for himself. He'd experienced a kind of prosperity in his life, and he certainly experienced the joy of getting to advance the cause of Christ and planting churches and getting to preach the gospel wherever he went. So I hope that you see that this man is certainly qualified to be speaking into our lives today, that there is no circumstance that you cannot learn to be content, to be satisfied, and therefore grateful for all that God is doing. So the first thing that we see from this text today is that every circumstance serves to help us understand the worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Every single circumstance in your life, hard or good, difficult or great, every single one of these circumstances serve as a means of God to help us understand that Jesus is the most valuable. Whatever has been taken from you, whatever has been given to you, all of these things stand lesser than Jesus. They are, even good things, are less than the greatest thing, that is Jesus. And everything that we go through is meant to teach us this lesson because you will one day leave this world, this earth, with nothing but Jesus or absolutely nothing. So every circumstance serves to this end. One of the things that I love to do, I don't get to do it enough, is to go backpacking. I love, uh, I grew up going to the Smokies and getting to go overnight. Uh, you know, I love the process of strategically packing my backpack so that, you know, everything is taken out when it's needed. Uh, I'm a little OCD, so I love uh, just strategizing that. I love uh, the long journey um, of the hike. I love when I get there, setting up my, my camp and making it my own. I love, you know, the accomplishment of making my own fire, you know, like obviously controlled and, you know, when there's not a burn ban going on. Um, but I, I love, you know, the fresh air and the fresh water, as long as you boil it, don't want to get jardia. Um, and then I also just love that first meal that you have. If you've ever gone backpacking, it doesn't matter what you brought to eat that night. It is like the best food that you've ever had, right? You're, you're sore and your shoulders and your hips and you're tired and it's 
possibly wet. And some of you are thinking, like, why would you even go backpacking if that's the way you feel? It's okay. Just you got to be there. But that meal, it doesn't matter if you brought Easy Mac or ramen noodles or steak or jambalaya or whatever you're into, it's delicious. It's so satisfying and it's so good. And in that moment, I'm not thinking to myself, oh, I'm so glad I have food because the kids in Africa don't have any food. I'm not thinking to myself, oh, everybody's circumstances in the world, you know, compared to my own circumstances, make me feel better about myself. No, I'm not thinking that at all. I'm, I, I simply can't help but appreciate, but be grateful for what I have because of what I've suffered. Now, backpacking is not a lot of suffering, but stands to, it stands, the point stands that after we've gone through hard things, we appreciate what is worthy of appreciation. We don't need to be forced to do that. And what I'm slowly learning is that every hard thing, every blessed day, all of it serves as a tremendous range of circumstances that help me see increasingly that Jesus Christ is the only steady and, and ultimately fulfilling thing in my life. The only thing. Circumstances will come and go, whether it's by your own manipulation or God's intervention. But Jesus remains good and he remains faithful to me, regardless of my faithfulness. He is good. And it's through those ebbs and flows that God teaches me this lesson. Hardship challenges me to depend on him, while prosperity challenges me to remember that none of these things are as good as Jesus himself. All of this helps me say with confidence that I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that there's nothing better. I need Jesus more than anything, and because I have him, I can rest content in a way I can't fully explain to you or that I can't fully rationalize to anyone. And it's not just this range of circumstances that taught Paul or us contentment. It's also that he found strength outside of himself to tap into. So let's go to that famous verse, verse 13, right? The iconic verse that you've seen tattooed on the biceps of professional athletes, right? The, 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 the verse that you've seen cited in a social media bio or page uh, as if to say, we will win because Jesus is on our side, right? Or, or, or is it to say, anything I do or anything I seek to accomplish will be accomplished because Christ is for me? There's no condemnation for anyone. Grace to you. If that is currently on your social media bio, you can change it after the service. No big deal. <laughs> totally fine. And, and, and here's the thing. The, all of those things are just wrong enough to be a distraction from what Paul is primarily saying in this verse. They're just wrong enough to, to distract us from that primary meaning. You can go to plenty of other texts in the Bible, even some that Paul wrote, and argue that you can find strength to do plenty of other things. But what he primarily means here, and that we need to lean into to understand what God is trying to say to us through Paul, is that he gives strength to be content and satisfied and therefore grateful no matter our circumstances. And when we draw on Christ's strength rather than our own, we can be satisfied. So, number two, you must find strength in Jesus to be satisfied and grateful with only Jesus. 
almost sounds like circular reasoning, but it's the truth, that you don't have the strength in yourself. There's not enough willpower in the world, not enough things that you, mental tricks that you can do to believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is enough, to be grateful for him. That's why God had to intervene to begin with. And, and, and through Jesus' strength, through the faith he provides, through the satisfaction, we see that Jesus himself is the gift, that he is what we need, and he is what we have. Now, Paul, among all of the people, had the resume, we just read it, he had the resume to say, look at me, persevere like me, work hard like me, learn from my discipline, learn from my pedigree, learn from my, script, my knowledge of scripture, and then therefore you can persevere through all things. But he didn't say that. He took zero credit for his strength or capacity to persevere. Zero. Instead, he points to Jesus. He points to the strength that he found in him. He doesn't look to his own grit or determination. He doesn't say that through a vision board and affirmations, he was able to manifest better circumstances for himself. He doesn't say that he subjected himself to, to marathons and military-like training to master his body and mind so that he could persevere. No, he takes zero credit for any strength or any, any method of finding strength other than the strength that Christ provides. So, how does he tap into the strength that Jesus provides? I want to know. All of our algorithms on social media bring us some pretty interesting things, right? Uh, one of the interesting things that I came across uh, just a few weeks ago was somebody grafting a branch from a different plant into an, another tree. Super time-consuming and very interesting. Um, you can look it up on your own time. But what it made me think about was that we used to be a part of a dead tree. We, we were dead. We were like a branch attached to a tree that's dead. No fruit, no life. And Jesus comes along and he cuts us off of that dead tree and he attaches us to a new and living tree, to the true and living tree himself. And just like those branches, as we're artificially attached through whatever means to that tree, we begin to draw on the water and the nourishment from the living tree. And over time, it's a very arduous process, but over time, we, we know, we're not only attached in an artificial way, but we're actually grown into the tree itself so that we can remain there and continue to be given life and nourishment and strength from God. Jesus used the word abiding. This is what it means to abide in Christ and he in us. And Paul learned this. He learned the, the glorious reality that it is being attached to Jesus and continuing to grow into him where we find strength. Now, let me show you practically how this abiding process has worked for me, uh, and hopefully it will help you. So I, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I have problems. So this is how I think through things when in my own discipleship journey, this is how I processed things. When I'm discipling other people, these are, these are some layers of things that I think about. Um, you know, we have good and bad life and death, whether it's a pattern of sin, a, a, a thought pattern, whatever it is, this is how I, I walk through these issues in my life. And the, every time I'm, I'm trying to 
progress in holiness or I'm trying to disciple someone in that journey, it's really easy to start up here, right? We, we talked about teaching our kids to say thank you. That's a behavior. That's what you do, right? And you can fake that and do that for a very long time until you grow sick and tired of doing it. You can fake that for a while, but eventually you will fall to the level of what you want, your desires. And those, oh, cool. Even more so, those desires are shaped by what you love or by what you worship. And so what the Bible teaches us to shape what we love, to shape what we worship, we set our mind on spiritual things. Paul said in Romans 8 that we are to set our, or, or to set the mind on the things of the spirit is life and peace. He also said before that, that to set the mind on the flesh brings death. And so if we want life, if we want good in our life, we have to set our mind on good things. We have to set our mind on the things of the spirit, the promises, the truth that Christ has provided in his word, in his life, in his gospel. And so what happens is you, you naturally set your heart and mind on things. You don't have to learn how to do that. That's part of how you were made. And, if, and I would encourage you to do this. As you survey all that you naturally set your heart and mind to, you will find what you love most. You will find what you worship. For some of you, you will discover that it's not Jesus. It's something else entirely. And for those other of you that that are setting your mind on Christ, you will still see obstacles. You'll see, still see blind spots that are keeping you from setting your heart and mind wholly on Jesus. And remember from Romans 1, what did he say led to their, their, their falling away from God and their lack of gratitude? He said that their, their, their futile thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And here Paul is giving us just chapters later in Romans to set our minds on things above. And so as we do this habitually, it shapes what we love. And then from there, as we, as we, as we think about what we love, for example, for me, one of my favorite verses, one of the favorite things that I love to set my mind to is Philippians 1.6. It's in this, this same letter that Paul wrote. He said that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ our Lord. And it's this beautiful hope-giving thing that on my worst days and on my best days, that it's he that's working in me. It's he who's going to bring me to the finish line. It's he that's promised that I'll make it. And it's from there that I have a deep and abiding love for God, gratitude to God. And then that shapes what I desire, what I want, because I'm thankful that God is the one who's going to get me there, not Taylor and not anyone else in my life. What I want is to please him. What I want is to obey him. What I want is to trust him. What I want is to follow him with every category of my life. And when I want those things, then I could say thank you and mean it, whether it's to him or to anyone in my life. It's from there that I can, I can act obediently from a place of sincerity and worship, not from a place of obligation. And it's, it's this paradigm, it's this way of thinking that, that has, has taught me some contentment. I'm still learning and growing as I, I believe Paul was as well. And what's beautiful about these different layers is, is, is as systematic as it looks, there's actually quite a bit of flow to it. I've, I've certainly had seasons in my life where I, I faked it uh, in hopes, it, hopes that I would, you know, as I 
as I faked it, that it would change my heart. And it, and it certainly has. There's certain liturgies and certain patterns, certain, certain rhythms of my life that, that take me here, right? And then there's been other times where I've had the space to think, uh, which seems to be fewer and further between these days. But when I have that space, I get to go here quickly and sit there and let my heart be changed. And wherever you start, all of these things are connected so that we can live in this good place that brings life and peace. I hope this helps you, and I hope that you see that, that it's this kind of practice that will keep you from trying to change your circumstances. That's what we're all tempted to do. You will seek to do that. But when we seek to change our circumstances in order to be satisfied, we're seeking a temporary worldly solution to an eternally spiritual problem. If you seek to change your circumstances with greater effort than you seek to be satisfied with only Jesus, you're missing the point. And the point is this, that Jesus is everything. And I hate that that sounds cliche, but I can't say anything more theologically true or clear that he is everything. He is the only thing, the only one who has brought deep and abiding, steady satisfaction to my life, to your life. I've seen it in you from your stories. You have given testimony to the deep and abiding love and life that comes from knowing him, not from your bank accounts, not from, from the, the season or how well your kids are doing or how honored you feel or your status or your influence or any of the things that you're tempted to be satisfied with. You don't know how great of a treasure he is sometimes until you have nothing left to treasure or all the treasure that you have leaves you feeling empty. No matter the circumstance, it all leads us to knowing the worth of Jesus Christ. Now, finally, Paul said in that first verse, verse 11, he said that he learned to be content. And what's beautiful about him giving us that is that it's clear that he learned this contentment not all at once, but over time. And with intentionality over time through hardship and abundance. So for us, we are learning this process, and we're lear this learning will require repetition and Christ-like friends. Repetition and Christ-like friends. It's very clear through his, his testimony of all the things that he's been through that he had practice <laughs> setting his mind on things of the Spirit. He had practice seeing that Jesus was everything when he had nothing. He had no lifeline, no encouragement, no help, no provision. It's clear that he had Christ-like friends. Remember, that's why he's writing this letter to the Philippians. He's thanking them for their, for, their, for their financial support. He's thanking them for their encouragement and their partnership in the gospel. And he had other brothers like Timothy and Barnabas as well to come alongside him in his ministry who were even imprisoned with him. And it's because of this friendship in the gospel that he was able to persevere, that he was able to continue to learn to be content. You cannot decide today to be content and hope that tomorrow you'll wake up super thankful. You can't. You have to learn it through the wrestling with the gospel again and again. You have to learn it through the wrestling with the own fears that you have that are greater than your fear of God. You have to, like Paul, learn 
that it's he who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You have to learn, like Paul, that, that you must work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a process. Too many of us have been conditioned by comfort and entertainment that you can effortlessly keep going with quick distraction or with the right change in your circumstances. And I've tried that too. It didn't work. And even when I get lazy, I've tried it again, maybe for a day or for a month. It still doesn't work. You have to wrestle with God. You have to fight your own heart and mind to trust God. And remembering from, just like Paul said in Romans 1, it's that lack of gratitude, that lack of thankfulness that led to a futile way of thinking and a foolish heart. There's been two primary tactics for me in this, this fight of contentment. I already told you the first one, that to, to set my mind on things above, to preach to myself in my own thought life, taking every thought captive. But the second one is having gospel-reminding God-like friends. There's a handful of people in my life who have showed up, who were there, who were present in a time of hardship or who were there in time of abundance, who were faithful to remind me of where my help comes from, who were good to me to remind me that however good things are going, nothing will supersede knowing Jesus. Whatever praise of man feels good, whatever good thing is going on, is less than the gift of knowing Jesus. And it's these friends who have loved me well. It's these friends who have reminded me, who have mirrored back to me the character of God and the goodness of God when I couldn't remind myself. Now let's bring this full circle. When you are living in the place of contentment and satisfaction in Jesus, you will be able to be, great, to be grateful. Not only when you ought to be, but when it's sometimes hard to be. This gratitude is something that you don't need to manufacture. You don't need to fake it. This isn't like a child saying words of thank you out of obligation. This is a response of worship because we are encountering God again and again. You encountered him decades ago, maybe days ago for the very first time when he chose to open your eyes and ears to who he truly is. And you keep encountering him every time you talk to him in prayer, every time you come here to worship him, every time you read your Bible, you encounter him over and over. And he draws the gaze of your heart and your mind to satisfaction in him. You encounter him through the godly friends who mirror his love and grace to you. So we can respond with uncommon thankfulness. When a trusted friend or leader in your life tells you something hard to hear or gives you, gives you some accountability, you will say thank you, rather than responding with excuses or justifications. When someone insults you or criticizes you, regardless of their intentions, you will say thank you. Thank you to God for securing your identity in his son and your purpose that he's given you rather than bending to your ego 
And you will ask questions like, I wonder, like, I wonder what kind of hurt or pain led them to say that. When someone chooses to be unexpectedly and lavishly generous to you, you will say thank you. Rather than recoiling and shrinking in pride or exalting them as if they are the giver or exalting the gift as if it's better than Jesus, you will say thank you. You will be appropriately thankful. When your circumstances overwhelm you, when prayers go unanswered, when hope is dim, you will say thank you because you already know your greatest need. Your greatest act of betrayal, your darkest day has already been graciously vindicated in the life and death of Jesus Christ. And this is where gratitude comes from. No matter your circumstances, no matter what's going on, I hope that you see that God is working all these things together that you might know him more deeply and that you would be less fooled into believing that there's something else or someone else worthy of your worship, worthy of your devotion. And what's so incredibly gratifying is that as we see Jesus to be all satisfying and we worship him as such, the satisfaction only multiplies. This is how we will smile with thankfulness at what the world can't possibly understand because we have tasted and seen that he is the very best. Please pray with me today that we would believe just that. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, for his, his model of continuing to come back to you to be satisfied, to be content, and to be grateful for all the hardship he endured. Jesus, thank you for modeling the way. Thank you for giving us faith to face today. And I pray for everyone here today in Maryville and in Knoxville and those online that we would all together, whatever our circumstances are today, we would see you as everything to us, that we would worship you accordingly, that we would be shaped by our love for you, that what we want would be changed. And therefore, how we act, how we have our being would be changed. Would you work and move in us in only the way that you can, Holy Spirit. Have your way in us. May we be satisfied wholly by you, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like this video and leave a comment. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss an upload from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, you can go to our website, foothillschurch.com, or by clicking the link in the description below.